0: And welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he wants us to know that the card's name is Zephy Thunder Conductor. It's Matt Morgan.
1: You know, this week I was hoping to make a Suez Canal joke, but I'm afraid that ship probably has sailed by now. Good. Good all around, Matt. I'm glad. i mean I'm glad to world hear World trade can happen once again. Oh, that that Man. joke isn't <laughs> that joke I was hoping it would be evergreen, but it appears it's not. <laughs>
0: I see what you did there, and that's brilliant. Up next, he wants us to know that the card says Zephi Thunder Collector.
2: It's Dana Roach. Um, in honor of the newest MDFC cards from Strixhaven, um, I am cosplaying as a MDFC card right now. The side you see is a guy wearing a baseball cap. Um, the other side of this card is a guy whose hair looked so awful from the wind today that he had to put on a baseball cap.
0: <laughs> I'm proud of you. Um, well, we know that they are both uh, two different sides of the same though, right. no, Dana. It's good to know. <laughs> anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey, Matt, what are we talking about this week?
1: This week, we're going to talk about parasitic commanders in that we're looking at commanders that are playing quite a few cards that come from the set or block they came out in.
0: Indeed. This is going to be a really, really interesting one to see which commanders are sort of sticking with the same cards that came from their own set, and maybe later we can talk about some commanders that aren't as well. So it should be a whole bunch of fun. Of course, we want to make a brief stop to thank the folks at the Command Zone who handle all of the post-production work on our podcast here, making it look as awesome as it does, and we would be remiss if we didn't thank our sponsors for the show,
2: too. The Idiot RecCast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Card Kingdom has the deepest buy list online and a stack inventory to match so whatever crazy old frame time spiral card you want they probably have it and you can buy those cards with the credit you get from their buy list similarly pcg player tends to have anything you want as well so whatever mystic archive you're gonna want in the next few weeks they probably have it as well and you can even open your own storefront there to sell cards you don't need just go to edh rec and click on the card in question choose the vendor link down below and doing so supports both of these site and the show
1: well, Joey, we also would be remiss if we didn't thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash edhreccast. Uh, if you want to support the show directly, you are more than able to do that. If you go to our Patreon page, uh, we have patron tiers of all sorts of different levels. Whether you want to join the Discord, with the awesome community that we have going on over there, you want to see all of the historic challenges stats that we've done, or you just want to get some some free swag every now and then, we have tiers of all sorts of levels for whatever you're looking to support us at. Just head over to patreon.com slash edhreccast, and you can sign up right there. And we also have a very special tier where we thank a special patron every week for their patronage. And this week, we want to give a huge shout out, John Hartung. So thank you so much, John. We definitely appreciate your patronage and all of your support.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, John. That's awesome. We're also going to be streaming this week on twitch.tv slash EDH Redcast with Gavin Verhey. But we'll be playing on Thursday instead of the usual Wednesday. So tune in to watch us at 6 o'clock pacific nine o'clock eastern yeah that will be
0: again on the 15th instead of our usual wednesday but it is always a good time we've got awesome guests on the stream and we're really excited to have gavin on there too all right fellas now let's get into our main topic we are talking about the most parasitic commanders out there in the EDH sphere and Matt as you said before the way that we're talking about it is basically the commanders that play a lot of cards that come from their same set so if a commander came out for example in you know a core set 20 or something how many cards from core set 20 is that commander playing in that same deck
1: So as always, we are going to make sure that we're only counting commanders that have at least 100 decks to their name, just to make sure we're getting a good, healthy sample size. And then we're just gonna be looking at how many cards, on average, are they playing from that set that they came out in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we want to use the average deck feature to sort of measure that. That's basically how we've gone about it. And that 100 deck limit is pretty usual for us, but it's also always good for us to reiterate that. Before we get to the actual numbers for the top 10 commanders that are the most parasitic, I also figured that it would be a good idea for us to average out what is sort of the average parasiticism, if I'm saying that right, which I am probably not, uh, for any given commander. What typically, how many cards from their own set does a commander actually tend to play? And, um... I don't know. I was really happy when I found out what the numbers are. Dana, do you think you'd have any guesses? Do you think it would be high? Do you think it would be low? Where do you think that you would expect that number to land?
2: Um, you know, I would have guessed something in the range of what the actual number is, but I would not have guessed the yeah. actual number. The <laughs> Matt, I also want to
0: hear
1: from you. Like, did you expect it to be high as well? Or I, I, I think all, when you when you look at the Commander anyway uh, you know, as a broad spectrum. I'm guessing it would have dragged my numbers lower, but like the more that I think about it, I guess I was guessing I I definitely was going to guess that it was higher than it actually is. I will say okay. that. I, yeah, I had also
0: been like, mm, maybe it'd be too low, I couldn't really tell, but like the exact number that it actually is just absolutely tickles me to no end. The average number of cards, when we got all of the data together and we looked through it, the average number of cards in a commander's deck that come from the same set as that commander, turned out to average out to 3.14. No, I am not kidding. The average commander contains pie cards from its own set, and I think that's beautiful
1: you're such a numbers nerd but that's why you're here that's why you're here on this podcast here yeah and we also took the median
0: and that turned out to be three so yeah the typical commander runs an average of about three sometimes more uh, cards that also came that also originated from that same set as the commander which is pretty interesting so now let's get into the actual the top 10 the commanders that are playing a lot more than that is i guess how we can say it let's go to those most parasitic commanders matt start us off who's
1: at number 10 So number 10, the 10th most parasitic commander as far as playing the most amount of cards from the set it came out in is going to be Utropia, twice favored from Theros Beyond Death. So out of the 282 decks that we're currently seeing, they're playing 15 cards from Theros Beyond Death in there. And it makes sense, you know, when you consider Theros is a very enchantment heavy set, Utropia does love casting a lot of enchantments. So when you look at the deck, it makes a lot of sense. You, You get some of the Omen, cards like you have the Omen of Nylea and Satessan Training, which both make sure that you trigger Utropia's ability, and also you're getting some sort of benefit as well, so there's lots of different effects on enchantments, and Utropia just happens to be capitalizing on those.
0: So, another interesting thing that jumps out to me here about Utropia's numbers is also the high number of cards that we're seeing from Theros Beyond Death that she's playing. A lot of them tend to be enchantment creatures as well, which is totally unique to Theros Beyond Death, and of course to a previous Theros set as well, or Theros Block I should say. Um, but yeah, you've got stuff like Arasta of the Endless Web showing up, Destiny Spinner showing up in the typical Utropia deck. So the fact that there's such a unique thing that Theres Beyond Death is able to bring is what allows Utopia to have that type of, I think I'm gonna say it again correctly, parasiticism. I may still be wrong about saying that.
2: And this, I think, is very much a signpost to what we're gonna be seeing moving forward, where the commanders that do have a lot of this parasiticism going on are doing so because something in their text box points them to something. In that set, that is synergistic.
1: Well, I think to to mimic the parasiticism is a specificity. And <laughs> oh my God. I, I'm just trying to get as many multi-syllabic <laughs> words into my senses for this episode. But I was going to say, Brilliant. the the, the parasiticism, like, how specific is that commander? Is it doing something very, very specific like Eutropia is, where it's a bunch of enchantment-focused stuff in an enchantment-focused set? So that's why, and there's a very good reason why Eutropia and these other commanders are so parasitic, because they're doing something fairly specific that got support in the set they came out in.
0: And I think also, like, also in only two of the colors that you would typically expect to see Enchantress in. Like, we typically associate enchantress to lean a bit more towards white and green as opposed to just blue and green but like this is also a little bit more constrained as a commander which means it might need to be a bit more constrained in what it's searching for potentially
2: up next here at number nine we have averna the chaos bloom which is the three color elemental shaman Uh, as you cascade you may put a land card from among the exiled cards onto the battlefield tapped so, here we have a commander that is doing Cascade things that's gonna gain extra advantage from any Cascade stuff you happen to do. So, Averna has a parasitic score of 18, um, and of those 18 cards, 14 of those say Cascade. Uh, the rest are land helpers and things that also interface with Averna's ability, um, but That's primarily what's happening here. There was quite a few cascade things showing up in Commander Legends that synergized very nicely with what Arverna was doing right there on the card.
0: Talk about constrained commanders. I feel like this one also has a ton of explanation because frankly, there aren't actually that many cards that say Cascade on them. Like w- we all probably think of Yidris Maelstrom Wielder as being like, oh, Cascade's over the place. But Yidris is granting that Cascade. He's not benefiting from cards that already have Cascade on their own. So like when we actually look at the cards that could go into an Averna deck, there are like only seven other on color Cascade cards in Averna's colors in the first place. So all of her stuff has to come from Commander Legends.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a definition, I guess, of kind of a parasitic commander where it, it does what it does because of the cards in that set. And outside that set, you're just not going to see things that, that interact really well with what she's doing. Right.
1: Yeah, you, you, you have to go back to a Lara block, mm-hmm. which was the last time we really <laughs> saw a whole lot of Cascade stuff. So it's not, that, it's not that Averna has to be playing only Commander Legends cards, but some of them are just so obscure and, and, and kind of hard to find at this point that people, you know, it's not really worth the effort of digging through to find these random Cascade cards in order to be triggering the ability.
0: Right. She's going to be after those cards, like, you know, even just a typical boarding party, which kind of sounds like Luster is just a common that can cascade. But like she has limited options. There's Apex Devastator, sure, but the pool actually runs pretty thin. And Dana, when you had mentioned those 14 cards in her average deck that say cascade on them, some of them also include cards like Emote, uh, which is a card that grants cascade because that's something that she needs. She can't rely just on the small pool of cards that already has them. So that's why we're seeing a whole bunch here for Averna to be a very parasiticisms commander indeed. <laughs> (laughs) I don't know why I've made a chore out of saying that, but these guys are going to give me a bunch of crap about it. So Uh, how about we just move on to number eight? We'll we'll let you move on. (laughs) All right. Uh, So let's move now to number eight. This is yet another three-color commander. It's Agar the Freezing Flame, a very recent one from Kaldheim, who loves giants. Is it giant who likes when your giants or your spells do extra bonus damage to creatures, and it can give you some extra rewards for that? There's only about 124 Agar decks so far, although considering how new this set is, that is still you know, pretty impressive. And so far from the data, what we're seeing is that Agar is running 18 cards on average that also originated in Kaldheim, which is a pretty high number for this little uncommon guy. But you've got a bunch of those new giants like Quakebringer or Cyclone Summoner that come from Kaldheim to help support this commander.
1: Yeah, giants weren't really a super supported tribe up until recently. So being able just to use some of the most modern design and and modernly powerful type of giants. That's what I think, you know, is really trying to, to, to capitalize on, I should say. Um, you don't want to play hill giants. You want to play giants with a little bit of upside. <laughs> uh, that way you're getting, you know, Agar's ability. So, yep, I'm, I'm not really too surprised to see... Uh, Agar running a bunch of Kaldheim cards. Well,
2: and there's also the added twist here of Agar being in it colors and previously Giants tended to be in the red and white area. They were predominantly Boros. So if you want to play a commander in it that, that has access to Giants, you basically have to look at Kaldheim, which is the set where we first kind of, for the most part, got Blue Giants.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only one that I can think of beside that is like Frost Titan, yeah. which technically counts, even though we all don't really Realize that it's a giant and then also Thrix the Sudden Storm. Which also, let's be real, Agar is relying on those kind of a bit too because mm-hmm. of the six. Uh, excuse me, of the 18 cards that uh, Agar is running that come from Kaldheim, only six of them actually turn out to be giants. So it is still relying pretty heavily on a lot of other giants from other sets too. Um, and then it's using a lot of other Kaldheim support system for the giant support cards like Giant's Grasp or Invasion of the Giants that also came from that set.
2: Well, up next at number seven, we have a DePaula Pilot Exemplar. 878 decks with a parasitic score of 20 and we're looking at depala who's a dwarf pilot who cares about dwarves so other dwarves you control get plus one plus one Um, and she also boosts vehicles so right there once again we're we're pointing in a very specific direction and when you look at Dapala's parasitic score you have seven Cards from that set that are dwarf creature cards and eight of them are vehicles Um, and you know, it makes sense if you were playing in kaladash, which was the first set where we actually had the subtype vehicle. So That was where most of your vehicle cards came from and matt kind of touched on this when he was talking about um, agar on uh, med um, number seven where Creatures traditionally way back in the beginning of Magic's days tended to be much weaker than the non-creature type spells. So even though Dwarves existed back in the early Magic sets, they weren't particularly good creatures. So when you want to put Dwarves in your Depala deck, again, you're kind of relying on the the more modern design, as Matt put it, where creatures are stronger than they once
1: were. And that's another set too that. We, we just got another round of dwarves and it looks like we're going to get even more dwarves coming out in Strixhaven. So the Paula's deck, it might actually get a little watered down when it comes to play- playing mm-hmm. a bunch of cards from Kaladesh block, just because there, there are more new dwarves coming out in the same colors, as um, which is something that I, I think it shouldn't be forgotten. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of just new things. You know, Dapala originally was kind of the first commander really exploring both dwarves and vehicles, and we're getting more of both of those now. So Dapala might yeah. actually go down the list the more just modern card design kind of explores those spaces.
2: Compared to, like, Averna, where we probably will not be getting Cascade cards anytime soon. Probably and not getting f-
1: too many standard Cascades Right, pistols. exactly. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, that's a real good point.
0: No, yeah, like, we've, we're have we already kind of experiencing a bit of watering down of DePaula's data, in fact, because she's already kind of reliant on vehicles that have come from subsequent sets after Kaladesh. She's using stuff like Parhelion 2, Electric Boogaloo, to support the fact that there weren't a ton of vehicles from her original block. She's got to rely upon stuff like Weatherlight to actually get, you know, enough vehicles in the first place. So she's already being watered down and you're totally right, Matt. It will do nothing but continue to go down even further, which is interesting to
1: see. So you're telling me that the Aradara Express is not a commander powerhouse quite like the Weatherlight is (laughs) when it comes to great vehicles you want to be crewing up with various dwarven critters.
0: I, you know what, I'm sure that something something colossal plow is another new vehicle (laughs) that she's so yeah, no your point absolutely stands all right let's head now to number 6 this is Gishath Sun's avatar, here at number 6 with another parasitic score of 20 20 cards that Gishath is playing in the average deck, also come from the same set as Gishath, and of those 20 16 of them are creature cards, 6 of them happen to be humans of those 16, and then happen to be dinos. So there's a lot of dinos coming from Ixalan that Gishath is really, really excited to cheat into play. You're bellowing Aegisauris, you're burning Sun's avatars, etc.
2: Yeah, this is another, another example of where the creature type wasn't prominent in Magic until that set that we actually got Gishath. There were a few dinosaurs and then we went back and retroactively made some creatures that looked like dinosaurs into dinosaurs, but predominantly dinosaurs first appeared in Magic in the um, Ixalan block, and again, talking about modern card design, they were much better than a lot of the older ones.
1: Well, and, and two, we need to remember, you know, Ixalan had two sets. He had rivals of Ixalan as well, yeah. which had a few more dinosaurs. And, and that does take away from Githshath's numbers just a little bit. Um, I don't think it's going to matter too much since, I mean, dinosaurs, I mean, you're looking at like three sets total worth of cards. So uh, Githshath is going to be pretty specific unless we we revisit Ixalan, I would say.
0: That's actually, Matt, that's such a key point here. Frankly, I'm surprised that Githshath is as high as it is considering that that the data is actually broken up between Ixalan and Rivals of Ixalan. Like, there's also a lot happening from the same block that could have, if we counted both of those as one set, that would possibly have pumped Gishath all the way up to like the top three instead of just being here at number six. But like the fact that it's divided and is still showing up in this top ten, I think that's really, really huge.
1: I mean, there was another legendary dinosaur that came out in Rivals of Ixalan, which kind of took a lot of the spotlight. So I think the people that mm-hmm. built Gishath, um, they probably focused it. that set. And then if they were using more rivals of Ixalan cards, they probably use the other legendary Naya dinosaur. Gotcha.
0: No, that totally makes sense. But yeah, Gishath has a lot of dinos and those do tend to be mostly concentrated within this one block. So even though the data is divided, Gishath is doing really well for himself from all of those Ixalan cards. All right, guys. So what we've done there, we've just gone through five commanders already and we're about to move on to our top five. But, you know, I think I'm in the mood for a break from all this data and I want to discuss even more data, how about we challenge some stats? Challenge the stats is one of our favorite segments here on the show because there's just so much data on EDHREC but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards see too much play or too little play. So what we'd like to do is challenge those stats here. Dana, how about you start us off this week? What's your
2: challenge? Uh, My challenge is from patron supporter Tharja and it's for uh, a Niv-Mizzet Reborn deck. As a reminder, Niv-Mizzet Reborn is the five-color Niv-Mizzet and when an ETB is revealed the top 10 cards of your library and for each color pair choose a card that is exactly those colors from among them and put it into your hand and the challenge is for a yorian sky nomad which is currently in less than three percent of the niv-mizzet reborn decks and why that's relevant is yorian's ability is when it enters the battlefield exile any number of creatures you control excuse me not on permanents you control and return them to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step Um, The way Yorion is, like all of the um, companion cards, is a two-color hybrid card, so it counts as one of the Azorius cards you can get off Niv-Mizzet's ability, and when you cast it the next turn, it will then blink Niv-Mizzet, along with anything else you have in play, if you choose to, to then get more cards off Niv-Mizzet. So it's kind of a self-perpetuating engine with Niv to draw more cards. Um, It should be in more than 3% of those decks. I totally agree with that. That is really cool. And of course, let's also clarify, we're talking about Yorion in the
0: deck, not as a companion, because it cannot be a companion. Yes, for sure. we cannot play 120 card decks. Although, my piles (laughs) of... That's what you think. Right. My my piles of decks that I haven't quite tuned down to get to the final list would indicate that we're playing 150 card deck format. (laughs) Because, like, I have a lot of cards that I try to put to deck. Sometimes I want to play 120, I tell you what. Okay, I'll move on to my challenge now. I am going to discuss one that kind of broke my heart a little bit. Uh, I'm talking about the commander, Alesha, who smiles at death, and a card from Kaldheim that is showing up. It's a pretty pretty decent clip for her already that doesn't quite work within the rules the way that I wanted it to. Varagoth, Bloodsky Sire, is showing up in Alesha decks at a pretty decent clip. Over 50% of new decks ever since Kaldheim's release uh, have come out. Over 50% of them are including this Varagoth, and Varagoth is a really cool card, a 3-mana, 2-3 Demon Rogue with Death Touch that has a Boast ability, so if you've attacked with that card this turn, you can activate the Boast ability, which is a tutor effect. And Alesha famously can bring tiny creatures with power 2 or less out of her graveyard, tapped and attacking whenever she attacks if you pay that cost. This seems like a really cool interaction, because you'd be able to get Varagoth out of the graveyard and then use the Boast ability. Or at least, that's what you would hope. As it turns out, Matt Tabak has clarified within the Kaldheim release notes that Boast doesn't work that way. If a creature with Boast is put onto the battlefield already attacking. It was never declared as an attacker, and therefore its boast ability cannot be activated that turn, which breaks my heart because I totally want this to work. I will totally understand if folks uh, say that Varagoth is still good enough to play in an, an, an Alesha deck anyway. I totally think that makes sense, but I wanted to use this opportunity to highlight a rules non-bow that is showing up here before just putting that card into your deck. It breaks my heart. I really want Varagoth to work with Alesha, but it doesn't quite if it's put into play already attacking. Sad face.
1: Yeah, it's it's close, but not quite. It's it's a horseshoes type of interaction. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. All right, Matt, let's round it up with yours. Let's let's cheer up. That one made me sad, but what do you got for us?
1: So this week, I got one. I uh, picked it up from a certain article at this website. You may have heard of it, edhrec.com. There are articles there, you know, helping people <laughs> contextualize data. It's kind of like a podcast that you have to read. Uh, <laughs> So I, I was reading an article about a Zerzoth Chaos Rider, and there was an interaction that I really liked, um, and think that probably more people should be playing. So Zerzoth Chaos Rider is that uh, the legendary Devil, Handsome Devil from Jumpstart, and Zerzoth basically, whenever your opponents draw their first card each turn, as long as it's not their turn, you get to create a one-one red Devil creature token, and when it dies, it gets to deal one damage to any target, and then you also can you know attack with one or more devils, uh, and then you and those players that you attack get to basically loot a card away. The ability, though, that Zersoth players seem to be really diving into is the ability to make all those devils. So you want players to be drawing cards, preferably on your turn, since you get to then make a bunch of devils. And one card that I really like, and it seems to be fit a pretty good role in the deck, is Descent of the Dragons. So Descent of the Dragons is a sorcery for four red red, which reads destroy any number of target creatures. And for each creature destroyed this way, its controller puts a four four red dragon creature token with flying onto the battlefield. Now, Zerzoth's devils that he makes do indeed have this ability where when they die you get to deal 1 damage to any target. So if you're playing your temple bells and all sorts of other effects to maximize Zerzoth's ability, you probably want to have something to do with these 1/1 devils. So turning them into 4/4s four that happen to fly, along with being able to pick off any, you know, pesky Creatures along the battlefield that might be downgraded into a 4 4, I think this is a pretty good card worth exploring. So, even if you happen to get five or six 4 4 dragons, that's a pretty significant clock that you can just keep beating down with and then make more devils as you go. Uh, Descent of the Dragons is only being played in 9% of Zerzoth decks, and for a polymorph type of effect, I think it's too powerful. Uh, You probably should be playing it a little bit higher. Clip out there uh, if you do want to be playing the Zerzoth decks.
0: That seems especially fitting for Zerzoth because that is such a tricky way to turn all of those tiny tokens into something a lot more important that your opponents have to deal with. So,
1: Zerzoth as a devil, I think, appreciates your tricks very much there, Mr. Morgan. I I have been also called devilishly handsome as well. Uh, I I really thought my grandma was really nice when she said that. dang it all right let's get back to our (laughs) i'm I'm glad you thought that was funny because i was just hoping somebody would (laughs) (laughs) you
0: i I asked me to cheer me up and you totally did i appreciate it all right let's get back to our main topic we're into the top five of the most parasitic commanders that are using the greatest number of cards that also originated from the same set as that commander dana take us to number five who is it that we're seeing in this super
2: parasitic world out there of edh what's going on in number five is Tazri, Beacon of Unity, which is the new Tazri from the uh, most recent Zendikar Rising set. Um, 384 decks with a parasitic score of 22. And this is a Tazri that costs one less for each creature in your party. And then you have an activated ability where you can look at the top six cards of your library and reveal um, up to two Clerics, Rogues, Warriors, Wizards or allies from among them, and put them into your hand. So it has a um, way to just get cards into hand if they have a specific um, card type. And, you know, if you look at the numbers here, um, 13 of the 22 cards in the parasitic score. Are creatures, and they're ones with some kind of a party payoff to hit those numbers on Tazri's card.
0: Yeah, we've got your Zagrises, your Nimble Trap Finders, Linvala, the Shield of Seagate, I think is the name. So a whole bunch of those. This one really shocks me, because you've got your Rogues and your Clerics and your whatevers in a whole bunch of other sets, but this one does seem to be very, very concentrated from just drawing upon the pool of Rogues and Clerics and Warriors from the same set, rather than going back and reaching back a whole Lot farther
1: are you sure i i've never heard of the, this warzard whatever that class is before so i i think they're only in this new zendikar set
2: yeah, um, what I think might matter a little bit here is some of those are kind of double-dipping. So, you'll have a wizard ally. So, some of those mm. party types, like you may have wizards back through Magic History, but we don't have allies. So, having one that has both types that allow you to kind of hit different angles depending on what you need on her requirements might be why you see a few more from that specific set.
0: Yeah, this this strikes me as potentially another commander that could possibly get watered down over time as well, because there will always be new rogues. There will always be new. Well, maybe there won't be new warzords, but there might be new wizards that come out. So this (laughs) is the type of score that could uh, eventually sort of get uh, a little bit lower over time as well, just as new things of this not entirely niche thing do eventually come out. All right, let's head to number four. Matt, do you want to take
1: us back to Ixalan? So we're going back to Exelon in kind of a similar situation to a commander we talked about a little bit ago. But this commander here is Admiral Beckett Brass, which is one in Grixis colors, which is a blue, black, and a red. Um, Gives all your pirates plus one, plus one. And then basically, whenever you hit an opponent with three or more pirates in combat, you get to steal one of their permanents pretty potent. Uh, We're looking at a parasitic score on the, you know, 1400 or so decks for Admiral Beckett Brass. We're seeing a score of 23 cards being played from Ixalan. Now, pirates were originally kind of like dinosaurs, really finally featured in Ixalan. So being a tribal commander with a very, very limited card pool, Admiral Beckett Brass was kind of forced to be a very, very, very parasitic commander just out of necessity.
0: Oh, yeah, but the, I feel like this is one where the plot totally thickens, like the, the data in on this one really, really got me because of those 23 cards that are just coming from Ixalan, only nine of them are actually pirates. So she's playing and, and, and Becca Brass is playing an average of 31 creatures. So a lot of those pirates are coming from other places, such as rivals of Ixalan. So, you know, there is a data divide there, even despite that Admiral Becca Brass is showing up so high at number four already. But then we've also got a ton of other pirates to contend with from Commander Legends, which completely reinvigorated this commander.
2: Well, and Matt talked about how this was similar to the Gishat situation where we also got some old cards rebadged as pirates. Um, However, I think in the Gishat case, they were taking kind of big stompy creatures that looked like dinosaurs and changed those into dinosaur creature types. And, you know, creatures were maybe worse back then, but big stompy creatures are big stompy creatures, and those tended to play okay in that deck. In the case of pirates, when they went back and changed something into a pirate, it was just a guy with a headband and that <laughs> tends to be much less impressive in terms of how powerful that creature is for your deck so um, by and large the good pirates that show up in the Beckett Brass deck are ones that were brand new to the uh, to pirate dumb I guess you would say.
0: Yeah that totally makes sense but like I said only 9 of those 23 for Beckett Brass are actual pirate creatures themselves which means a lot of the support that she's getting from her original set comes in the form of spells or just non-creature cards in general. Your fell flagships for instance or just thematic cards like pirates prize is another spell a lot of treasure making stuff your treasure map or your prying blade all of those types of support cards are showing up for Beckett brass even kind of outnumbering the actual pirates that come from OG Ixalan but if we had counted Ixalan and rivals of Ixalan as one set I really think that Beckett brass might have launched to like the number one spot because there's just so much happening that was originated by that first set
2: yeah I definitely think if we weren't looking at the split focus situation with two sets there as well both with pirates that would also make a Huge, huge difference.
0: Ooh, you just said an interesting word there, Dana. Split. Um, I feel like that has something to do with the next commander on our list. Something about splitting.
2: Uh, remind me a bit about that. What's a number three? Uh, number three is uh, Varazal, the Split Current. 351 decks with a parasitic score of 23. And this one is pretty straightforward. Every single one of those 23 cards has the word kicker on it
1: which makes sense because Verizal has, you know, the word kicker on the creature or on, on the card. Um, Let's read Verizal, because it's kind of specific. Uh, it's, it's X blue-green. Uh, Verizal split current enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter for each mana spent to cast it. And then whenever you cast a kicked spell, you may remove two plus one, plus one counters from Verizal. If you do, you copy the spell and you can choose new targets for the spell. Um, that said, that's actually the first time that I've read Verizal in its entirety, because <laughs> I forgot this card even existed. Oh, no! <laughs>
0: Yeah, a whole bunch of stuff that you can kick your Skyclave relics, your Jace mirror mages, even your inscriptions of abundance. There's a lot of stuff that is coming specifically from this set that Verizal is interested in kicking and copying, which this is another one that does kind of like a kicker is not a niche mechanic that is exclusive to just this set. Like, Kicker's been around for a while, and they always say that, like, kind of every mechanic is a version of Kicker as well. But, like, we've seen Kicker all over the place, but Varysl really likes the stuff that is there to be kicked from its own set.
2: Well, and it's also a strong set, so I think that makes a difference, too. We've definitely seen an uptick in power in Commander the last couple of years. I would, I think we all tend to agree, and that means the Kicker cards you're choosing from that recent set tend to be stronger more, and more impressive Kicker cards. So I think that's also a big factor there.
1: So, coming in at number two, we do have a, another new Kaldheim commander. This one is going to be Yorn, God of Winter, and this is a two and a green. Uh, for a legendary creature, whenever Yorn attacks, you untap each snow permanent you control. And also there is a backside that has Demir color identity, so Yorn's commander identity is actually Sultai colors. But people seem to be playing him for the, the face value a, quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. There's 305 decks out there with a parasitic score of 25 cards in the average deck coming from call time, and they're all snow cards. When you're doing a a kind of an obscure and limited mechanic like snow, chances are you're gonna have a pretty high parasitic score, and that's exactly what we're seeing with our number two commander here.
0: Yeah, and let's also face it, the lands are pulling a lot of weight when it comes to the numbers there. Mm -hmm. The snow-covered forest and snow-covered island and stuff like that, those came from a set way, you know, in ice age, unless I'm getting my magic history wrong, I don't know, I'm going to deflect by saying parasiticism again, <laughs> but we're not counting the snowlands among that point, but we are counting the new stuff like Woodland Chasm or Shimmer Drift Veil. There are a lot of new snowlands that also came from Kaldheim, which are bumping up this numbers by a factor of at least five going on. In addition to the snow sorceries and snow instants like Gravenlore and Blessing of Frost that also came from the set. So it isn't just permanence. There's plenty of other stuff that you can add in for snow stuff, too.
1: Yeah, there, there were sorceries and a aplenty in the set. Oh, my goodness. <laughs>
2: And yeah, we're looking at Ice Age primarily, as well with Cold Snap, which was a, a newer, even in the modern frame set. But it was not terribly well received, and it had cold, had snow permanence in it. But they're not nearly as powerful as the ones we did get recently in in Call Time for sure. And Ice Age, which you referenced as being the first. Set with snow permanence was way back in the early days of magic design when cards were either like necropotence, which is the most broken card <laughs> ever, or you know, a, a one one creature for six with cumulative upkeep keep of four or something like design was all over the place back then. So, people who want consistent, strong snow stuff for that deck are gonna look to Kaldheim. So, all right, we've gone all the way up to the number one spot, we've seen the
0: previous nine. Let's get to the most parasitic commander or Spoiler alert commanders because we did actually kind of cheat when it comes to our number one spot because there's a lot of stuff from Ikoria that fits into this category. Coming in at number one collectively, we are honoring Giganta the Wellspring, Aluna Apex of Wishes, Brocos Apex of Forever, and Snapdax Apex of the Hunt. These all each have different parasitic scores. Snapdax has a parasitic score of 18 for instance, Aluna has one of 23, Brocos has a parasitic score of about 20 cards though, that has a parasitism, parasitism, para, you love me, porosetic. I'm sorry I can't say it, porosetic, a, a parasitic a score <laughs> of 32. That's what I was trying to say. So, Gigantha does technically take the number one spot, but we wanted to put all of the mutants here because that is what is happening here. Every one of these commanders is running so many mutants, which only come from the Aquaria set, that it is just totally dominating. This set is by far one of the most parasitic sets because of what these commanders are doing with all of those mutant cards.
1: And that's not surprising at all. We've said several times that we, whenever you talk about an Aquaria legendary creature, you're pretty limited to just Aquaria because that's where most to the cards that support that specific legend are going to be coming from, especially when you talk about Brokos, Apex of Forever, and then Alunia Apex of Wishes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's
2: also a mechanic that was well represented in that set. This isn't like something like Meld from from back in Eldritch Moon, where there's only like half a dozen cards with a mechanic on it. Um, Mm -hmm. If you wanted to play Mutate, there were plenty of options in the set for you to find Mutate cards. And that that is especially probably why like Gigantha has become kind of the herald of all of them.
0: It isn't the most popular um, mutate commander out there, I think Otrimi possibly still has that number one slot, but Gigantha being five colors does open up the doors to be playing even more mutants. So even if Gigantha isn't the most popular in terms of number of decks, it is still playing way more mutants because it can, because it has a five color color identity. Yeah, every one of these commanders, Eluna, Snapdax, Brokos, and Gigantha is just a whole bunch of mutants. Like, Gigantha is running an average of 22 mutants in its deck. And then also, it's supported by the fact that this set also had triomes and ultimatums. So when we look at the rest of those commanders, like Aluna, another thing that's bumping up its numbers there is a triome and also an ultimatum in its colors and its own uh, Mythos card. And the same is true for Snapdacks. It is also supported by its triome and the Ruinous ultimatum that fits into those colors and the Mythos card for Snapdax. So each one of these is being supported in some pretty funny ways because of what Ikoria's got going on.
1: Well, and not only are they being supported but like the mythos cards, for example, they really do back up what the, the commander is trying to do itself. Mm-hmm. So it's it. They just naturally have an automatic just plus one when you think about playing any of those three color legends from a Coria.
0: Yeah. So, okay. We just went through that top 10. That was a whole lot of data. And now I'm kind of curious to hear from you guys after looking over those things, what we saw from Gishath to Beckett Breast, but also to Averna and all the way back to Eutropia. When we look over this top 10 populated as it was by certain sets, I don't know. Are there any commonalities that you noticed? Dana, I'll let you take the floor. Are there specific trends that you saw among the commanders here that are quote unquote the most
2: parasitic? So, obviously, we're looking at things that, that oftentimes are focused on a specific tribe that isn't represented elsewhere or a specific mechanic that isn't always represented elsewhere in, in sets. Um, I think maybe the the most important thing to note here, or one of the more important ones, is these are also mechanics that tend to not get represented elsewhere in something that doesn 't use those keywords so so for example, mm. landfall is a very popular mechanic, and it only has shown up in our three different trips to Zendikar, but there 's no creatures on here from Zendikar that are parasitic towards the landfall mechanic from those sets in part because creatures caring about lands coming into play or caring about lands in general show up all over the place. There's. Plenty of cards from actual like core sets that effectively have landfall, but don't actually say landfall on the card. Whereas mutate, for example, as a counterpoint, there's just nothing else that does that. Like there's no workaround kind of to to put a mutate card into your deck. It just needs to have mutate. So I think that's Mm -hmm. the other point here where I'm just looking at really specific mechanics and tribes, but we're looking at things that can't get represented or replicated with something similar.
1: Yeah, I I agree with Dana. How specific a commander is and how limited its card pool that it's pulling from to do anything on theme, that's going to severely impact how, how, you know, parasitic a commander is. If we had an energy commander for all the energy cards oh. that we saw in Kaladesh, yeah. uh, hint, hint, cough, cough, wizards, <laughs> uh, I, I think it would also be one of those very high you know, parasitic score type of commanders because it only has really one block to pull from. So, of course, you're going to use all of those energy-related cards. I think we're seeing a lot of that, but then when you look at you know the more open-ended commanders, that's when they start to pull from dang near anything. If you look at some of the top commanders of all time, for example, mm. they're probably not playing very much, if anything, from their own sets that they came out in because they're just generically powerful. They don't really need to be playing a bunch of cards from that set they came out in.
0: Well, Matt, it's funny that you should mention that because oh. I actually did a little bit of extra digging to see some of the very famous, super popular commanders out there and what their parasiticism score would be. I hope I ah. said that right. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, I see that you also have seen the show notes that we are working <laughs> yes. from on this episode. Parasiticism, Yes. So uh, let's go to some of those super famous commanders. I've got data here for Golos, Tireless Pilgrim, which is like the number one commander right now. It's so popular. I also put up some uh, stuff for a Praetor's Voice as well, and Muldrotha and Kenrith. Each one of those has a really low parasiticism score. I don't know why I'm so addicted to saying that word. I'm sorry. Golos is only running one other card that also came out from its same set, and that card happens to be Field of the Dead because Golos really, really likes land. And then Moldrotha is only playing like two cards that came from its set, Dominaria. It's only playing Tatiova and the Eldest Reborn, which also originated from Dominaria. Each one of these only has a parasiticism score of two or of one. Like, you're right, Matt. These are so powerful that they don't need to stick to their own set because there's so much else that they can grab for
2: instead. Well, and those are even kind of accidental parasiticism scores. Um, (laughs) Like, there's no necessary connection between Foot of the Dead or Golos. It just so happens that that is. A good card, and it just so happens it was in the same set as Golos. Um, You really see it in Kenrith, where Arcane Signet is one of the two cards that are parasitic. That's just an accident. It's like Arcane Signet just happened to be released in that set, and it goes in a ton of decks, and it's in your Kenrith deck.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, Atraxa is another pretty interesting case there, actually, because Atraxa came from a precon, and that really limits what its parasitivity could be. <laughs> and so, Atraxa also only has a parasitic score of two, which uh, the cards that Atraxa is playing that came from its own original precon were Crystalline Crawler and Deep Glow Skate. But to be clear, we're talking about the entire precon set there, not just its own original precon. So, it is still just those two cards that show up. And I think the fact that that is a precon commander really affects what it could be parasitic with in the first place. Um, that's something that I noticed actually that we were not seeing when we were going over the top 10. None of the top 10 commanders there came from precons because the pool is too low for them to actually rely upon that pool.
2: The, the pool is too low. And also they tend to not create unique keyword mechanics for pre-cons that have, you know, a, a large pool of cards to choose from. There's mm. for the most part, it's been replicating something from the past where, Hey, this is your first madness commander kind of, and, and we have, Oh, sure. Some madness cards, but there's madness cards out there, they aren't creating brand new keywords like mutate like they do for standard sets.
1: Yeah, and, and pre-cons are kind of meant to be upgraded. They're meant to be a gateway mm-hmm. into the format. They're, very rarely do people just kind of keep a, a pre-con deck and, and kind of just keep it as is. As we see from all the data that we have coming in, there are always going to be some cards change around you know gavi nest Warden was meant to support cycling which has been a fairly popular mechanic over the course of magic's history so of course gavi Nestwarden doesn't have a very high cycle or, or very high parasitic score because you have quite a few cards and, and sets to go back through even though it is a a pre-con commander that came with its own deck
2: yeah like if, if they were to create a new keyword in one of those sets the keyword parasiticism, for example, <laughs> it would be very challenging to have enough space in that deck to create other creatures with parasiticism oh to function goodness. in your parasiticism <laughs> keyword deck. I, um, apologize,
0: I apologize to everyone <laughs> out there for what I have I
1: accidentally <laughs> initiated with that. Joe, Joey just doesn't understand the porosity of these these commanders that we're talking about. But, but, or the specificity
0: of them. <laughs> yes, that
2: too. <laughs> the partial parasitism would definitely be a problem. The partial. The, the, the data. <laughs>
0: You guys, I think we've gone completely off the rails here. And I tell you what, what I think I'm really hungry for at this point is an episode that has nothing to do with Parasitic Commanders. I would love to know, I think, uh, about the commanders that actually don't play any of the cards from their own set at all. But I don't think we've got enough time for it on this episode. I think we'll probably have to save that for a future episode to see which commanders actually completely reject the cards from their own set. How many commanders aren't playing any cards that came from their own set? So I think that we'll, we'll... Put that one into the future and we'll stop saying parasitivity as much as we have this episode. Once again, everyone, I'm really sorry. I I,
1: I ponder that it could be possible to pontificate on on anti-parasitic popular (laughs)
0: peoples. (laughs) With that, we're going to call this episode to a close, man. (laughs) Fellas, just this find was, me on Twitter's people. This was this was a ride. Thank you so much for joining me. And if our listeners would want to get in touch with us, which I don't know why they would at this point because we have a penchant for a lot of alliteration, apparently. <laughs> Where is it that they can find us? All Matt, we'll start with you. Where is your parasimpativity?
1: <laughs> My, um, just go to Twitter's Mathemus fifty five. <laughs> I'm broke, there. Matt. I'm there sometimes. <laughs> Um, but also you can st- find us on Twitch where we're so much better behaved because Gavin Verhey does happen to uh, come on the stream and play games with us. So make sure you go to twitch.tv slash EDH reccast. Um, remember Thursday the 15th, not Wednesday, like we normally are. We made some special a- accommodations for our, our particular guests this time.
2: And Dana, where can folks find you? You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central, and I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and for Herald. You can also find all of us at patreon.com slash edhretcast and I'm Joey Schultz you can find me laughing to myself
0: way too much at Joseph M Schultz on twitter and you can find the cast at edhretcast on both facebook and on twitter plus if you have a question you can contact us at edhretcast at gmail.com our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the command zone who handle the post-production work on this podcast and put up with us thank you guys seriously so much and of course our thanks to our sponsors they are tcgplayer and cardkingdom.com you can find them using the price info links on Trek, or you can visit cardkingdom.com slash to show your support for the show. Listeners, we will be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH, wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.